everybody, and welcome to Southern Fried Pop Culture. I am one of your hosts, Mandy Kay. And I'm Kelly Lee. Each week, we're going to talk about our experiences of Southern culture through the lens of stories that are set in the South, feature Southern characters, or are Southern-flavored in some way. And we're supposed to do it while we drink Southern drinks, but tonight, I'm not feeling that great, so I just have water tonight. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry you're not feeling that great. (laughs) Oh, it's fine. I just didn't want to put alcohol in my stomach. But I'm hoping that you are drinking a delightful southern cocktail that I can drink vicariously through you. So I actually am. And I was I was kind of proud of this because I looked up a recipe I had never tried before and actually made something. So I am drinking a whiskey gold rush um, made from Crown Royal. So I feel all super fancy and I'm sitting here podcasting with a cocktail, and it's pretty cool. (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah. But I hope you feel better so you can cocktail with me next week. Oh, I will. Don't worry. Okay. Very good. (laughs) So on this show, our structure comes from our amazing theme song written by our friend Josie Bentley, and we'll talk about the movie in three sections. So we're going to start with Southern culture in general, and then the bless your heart or problematic moments, and then the things we love that made us tickle pink. So this week, we are talking about Driving Miss Daisy, a 1989 film based on a stage play by Alfred Urey. Starring Jessica Tandy and Morgan Freeman, it was nominated for nine Academy Awards and won four of them, Best Actress, Best Picture, Best Makeup, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And Jessica Tandy remains the oldest actress to win an Academy Award. She was 81. Oh, wow. I did not realize she was that old when she did this. She was. And I had never seen this movie before. And honestly, I don't know how I went my whole life without seeing it. And I think you hadn't seen it either, had you, Kelly? No, I had never seen it either. Um, And I don't know how I missed it because I love Morgan Freeman with my whole heart. I do, too. Yeah, it was surprising to me that I had missed not only a Southern movie, but a Southern movie with Morgan Freeman in it. But I had never seen this. Now, is it just me or is there some kind of sorcery going on? Because Morgan Freeman looks exactly the same today as he did in 1989. He does, indeed. And I think it's because he's not human. Okay. Um, Because whatever, you know, angels are made of is in Morgan Freeman. There's just no question about that. <laughs> I, will ex- I will absolutely accept that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what that stuff is, but whatever it is, he has it. So I, I, I firmly believe he's probably not aging at all. And that <laughs> voice of his is <laughs> definitely not aging at all. And yeah, somewhere in like my, my personal, you know, happy place, heaven or whatever. It's just Morgan Freeman reading to me all day. And I think he's wonderful. Yeah, I would like to have Morgan Freeman narrate my life story one day. Oh, yeah. Or Especially anything. if he did it in character as Hoke, because <laughs> I have to say, I have never heard Morgan Freeman's voice go as high as it did in this movie. Yeah. And it was delightful because it was always in sass. Miss Daisy, if I was to ever get my hands on what you got, shoot, I'd be shaking it around for everybody in the world to see. It was. I love the sass and, and just kind of the, the happiness of him in this role. And But the, the Morgan Freeman voice, that man can read anything to me that he ever wants, and I will sit there happy as I can be to listen. Absolutely. <laughs> 
All right. Well, let's jump right in and let's talk about how this movie portrays Southern culture. Um, okay. Why don't you go first and tell us kind of how you were feeling as you were watching this movie and if you think it was an accurate representation of the South. So for the time period in which it was shot, I think this might be the most accurate representation of wealthy Southern culture that I have ever seen. Um, Accurate to the point that it made me really sad. Yeah. But I think because it was so focused on an upper class experience of the South, it was difficult for me to relate to because that is certainly not my experience of, of growing up in the South. But the divisions of race and class and gender absolutely rang true for me. And it was funny because Hoke is from Macon, and so am I. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, of just some of the details and, and scenery and specificity of Georgia in that that also rang true for me. And I loved the constant reference to the Piggly Wiggly. It made yes. me a little homesick. <laughs> there and, is um, a Piggly Wiggly actually not too far from, well, I guess it's about an hour from where I live in the town where my granny lives. There is uh, still a Piggly Wiggly there, and that's where she goes grocery shopping. There's still a Piggly Wiggly. I think I would come visit just to go to the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> that would make me so nostalgic. <laughs> and uh, But there was, and there was a, a shot of them drinking Coca-Cola from the small glass bottles, mm-hmm. and I grew up on that. And that made me a little homesick. Oh, yeah. Coke always tastes better in those glass bottles. Oh, yeah. And especially if you get a bag of peanuts and drop them in there and have the peanuts at the bottom. I'll take your word for that one. <laughs> and then there was this one line at, uh, at Christmas time when um, she said, everybody's giving the Georgia Power Company a Merry Christmas. Uh-huh. And that's kind of a joke around where I grew up, too. So I think it was it was very authentic. Um and very realistic. What about you? How did it ring true with your experience of the South? Uh, I absolutely agree with you. It's definitely a true representation of certain aspects of Southern culture. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you, I can't specifically relate to that wealthy Southern culture, but I experienced it kind of tangentially because of mm-hmm. other members of my family or, um, you know, friends, neighbors, and that sort of things. So when you grow up in a small town, you kind of know everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, I think the thing that I related to the most was Daisy's casual racism. Yeah. And her constant saying something that was kind of inappropriate, having her son call her on it and have her immediately say, I'm not prejudiced and wholeheartedly believe it yeah. is absolutely something that my own grandmother has done both of my grandmothers have done mm-hmm. my my dad has done it my, you know my my aunts and my uncles have done it my brother's done it and and that is something i don't know why this is a thing i don't know why people can be so blind and can literally say something like they always are like this you know talking yeah. about a very specific group of people and not see what that is Mm -hmm. but it was true in 1948 and it's true in 2017 and I think (laughs) that is something that I have personally experienced throughout my life um, unfortunately with a lot of my family Um, and I think that there was a a line that Daisy had towards 
the end when, when they were driving to the Martin Luther King dinner and she's talking to Hoke and she says, I think it's wonderful the way things are changing. And she wholeheartedly believes that. And it's just so naive and so blind. And, and yes, it's, it's a slight, you know, tiny step in the right direction, but I don't know another way to say yeah. it, except it's just naive and blind. And, and it, <laughs> well, it's... <laughs> naive and blind is much more generous than my take on that, because <laughs> every single part of me exploded in fury and rage when those words came out of her mouth. So you're being far, far kinder to her than I was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I will I'm not say... a fan of Daisy. <laughs> I gather. <laughs> so I think... Many of the things in this movie that are a true representation of Southern culture are things that upset me, and they also upset you. And so I think both of us kind of veer towards putting them in the bless your heart section, the the problematic section, Um, because unfortunately, there's there's not a whole lot of Southern culture in 1948 that isn't problematic, other than things like um, Bewley's still taking care of his mama. You know, that to me, that is a Southern trait, but it it may very well be, you know, an American trait where you are raised to take care of your family as Mm -hmm. as they grow older. Um, Things like her staying in the house and all of the pictures are the same pictures that have been on the wall for her entire life. You know, things like that, the the memories and the traditions that they had um, Mm -hmm. in her house and in her family. I think those are things that I have definitely experienced in my life, um, not so much now. Those those sorts of things have kind of died away over the last fifteen years or so. But in my early early childhood, I remember walking into my great grandma's house, and it felt like I had walked back in time. Yeah. And and that's the kind of nostalgic feeling I got watching Daisy's house mm-hmm. in in this movie. And and I, I appreciated that. Um, but most. Of the Southern culture that stood out to me and that I remember are definitely more of the problematic things. Yeah, me too. And and in the house and the photos and all of that does remind me of my grandmother's house. And she's almost 90. And there's a lot of that still. And I know if I go see her, some of the same photos that I saw as a child are going to be there in the same places. You know, mm-hmm. and some of the same decorations are going to be there and at Christmas time, some of the same things are going to come out and they're going to be in the same spots and it's going to be like that, you know, traditionally all the time. But that's a rare exception to other things. Um, <laughs> and it, it would only be that way, you know, at my grandmother's house. But yeah, and it's really sad to say there's not a lot that I would pull from Southern culture in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s. 80s. <laughs> I think I could continue to add decades to that for a while yeah. um, that I would pull out. And the really sad thing of it is, is I think with a movie like this, you would have had the opportunity to maybe juxtapose that a little bit. Um, there would have been the opportunity here to explore friendship in a way that I think they didn't do. Um not from Hoke, you know, not from Hoke to, to Daisy, but from Daisy to Hoke. Because, you know, if I have to write a one-sentence thesis for this movie, it would be Daisy does not deserve that man. Right. And she she never earns the love and friendship that he gives her so openly. 
and it bothers me all the way through. And I would have liked to have seen that from her, at least in small part, and we never get it. I think they tried to. I think... Oh, yeah. They tried to, but... (laughs) That that was what we were supposed to get from this, is that Mm -hmm. she was a kaji, mean, old Southern woman in the beginning, and over the course of the movie, they have... They develop this wonderful friendship that ends with that final shot of him feeding her the pie, which actually did make me cry. You know, and I, I think thinking about it from the perspective of 1989, when they made this movie, I can understand why they did it the way that they did, because that would have been acceptable and that would have been an example of a developing friendship between an old, wealthy, white woman and an African-American working-class man who was in her employ. Right. That the, the class difference and the racial difference and the gender difference there were all so great mm-hmm. that for the time that I think they were trying to be progressive in what they were showing, that this even happened. But looking at it from the lens of 2017 – especially given where we are in this country right now, it is maddening and oh, it's, yeah, an, it's it infuriating, was... um, especially I, I started typing my notes in all caps whenever we got to <laughs> the Martin Luther King dinner. Oh God, me too. So to, so to set up the scene, this, this woman who is, I don't know, she's 80, 70 something at this, at this point, and, and she's very casually racist, and she hates Hoke. She's accused him of stealing and, and all this other stuff. And she has somehow been invited to go to a dinner where Martin Luther King Jr. is speaking. Mm-hmm. And her son decides that he can't go because it will look bad in the community, and he will lose business, which is problematic enough on its own oh yeah absolutely I mean you know let's just go ahead and be a coward and that's super fine but carry on (laughs) right and then you know he suggests that Daisy take Hoke which I think is a wonderful idea I mean at this point they've started becoming a little more friendly you know Mm -hmm. he keeps her company and, and all this other stuff and rather than actually ask him to go she In the car, when he's driving her to this event, she makes a joke out of it. Boney said the silliest thing the other day. Well, what did he say? Well, he was talking about Martin Luther King. Oh, yeah. I guess you know him, don't you? Martin Luther King? No, I don't know him. I was sure you did. Mm -hmm. But you've heard him preach. Oh, yes. Same way you have, though, on the TV. I think he's wonderful. Yes. Well, what you getting at, Miss Daisy? Well, it's a sin. Bully said you wanted to go with me to this dinner. Did you tell him that? No, I didn't. I didn't think so. What'd be the point? You can hear him whenever you want. Mm-hmm. Oh, Bewley said the funniest thing to me. He thought you would want to go, blah, blah, blah. Because, I mean, you know Dr. King, right? Um, and I'm sitting here thinking, what? Do all black people know each other? Really? Oh, I, and, that's the that second was a time. Really bad that, running joke through the movie, too. Yes, right? that I was know. the second time they pulled that. 
And, and you know, Hoke is like, no, I don't know him. I've, I've only heard him speak the same way you have, and I think this would be a, a great idea. And, um, you know, and then I have to say I'm proud of Hoke for his reaction to it because he knows yes. that she's kind of beating around the bush and trying to ask him, but mm-hmm. she's a coward too, and she'd just rather make it be a joke. And then he tells her straight up, if you wanted to ask me, you should have asked me a long time ago. And yes. so she just lets it go. And I fully expected her to take him in. And so whenever they the next shot was her sitting there with an empty chair next to her, I flipped my lid. I me mean, too. oh, ju- and juxtaposing between her sitting there listening to Dr. King speak in person to Hoke sitting in the car listening to him on the radio. It just made me mad. Yeah, I wrote, the privilege of this woman is going to kill me. And then my next bullet was in all caps. And Hoke does not get to go in with her. Please kill me now. I hate her more than ever. <laughs> like, this was, these were my movie notes. Because just <laughs> the, the, the absolute. But so my ultimate theory on this was like, here was a movie that was pitched as supposed to be this sort of reluctant friendship or acceptance between, you know, Daisy and, and Hoke or it's supposed to be some kind of development for her, right? And right. I completely do not see it that way. So to me, this is the most enduring love story in terms of friendship that this man has offered this absolutely atrocious person who does not deserve him. And to watch someone over a you know, the course of a, an adult lifetime offer without expectation, without demand, without any kind of return, that kind of love, just because he has it in him, to me, was, was what this story was about. Okay, because, but to be fair, he is being paid to be there. But that's not what he gives her. Like, you can drive somebody and not give them what he gave her. That is true. But I, th- I feel like that I need to factor that in just a little bit. Because he, if he wasn't being paid, he wouldn't be there. No, he wouldn't be there. But there's no way that the level of care that he gave that woman was part of that job description. No, no. And the joy with which he did it. Like, No. That was that was a spiritual marathon for Hoke. <laughs> and I, I don't know if he was on a mission from God or I have no idea. Like, I, I even put in my notes, I don't know what he is taking or what he is on every day <laughs> to be able to approach her the way he does. But whatever it is, I want it. Because yes. like, I just, the depth of heart that he had, I, I don't know how you do that. And I don't know how you do it every day. Um, and I don't think a paycheck is enough motivation to, to carry someone through that. Not with, yeah. not with the genuine love that he brings to it. And that was what he brought to it, you know, and yeah. it, it just amazed me for him to have the capacity to do that when she gave him no reason ever to bring that to her. Oh no, she she was horrible. She was so horrible awful. to him. Horrible. And the racism was bad. But the thing that killed me about like I literally 
I literally came up off the couch. Okay? Now, you know I am a woman who cusses. You know I have a temper. There are parts of this movie that made me mad. But I have never in my life, like, been in, as infuriated <laughs> by a scene in a movie with, like, poorly represented teaching as anything. Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I don't even know how you could write this or who thought of it. But whoever did this, I want to find them and get my hands on them. Because, <laughs> like, this was the most cruel and demeaning thing I have ever seen ever because they're you know they're at the graveside and they're trying to find a headstone and she tells him you know go put this on the bower you know hit grave or whatever Hope can't read and first of all it never occurs to her that he can't and so then she's going to you know school him and teach him because she used to be a teacher and the way that she starts to teach him is so insulting and so demeaning. And I'm telling you, every part of me was like on fire. And she says, well, if you know your letters, then you know how to read. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> and my whole self just exploded. Like, I mean, I just died. I think I might be podcasting from beyond because it killed me. Like, okay. I just have no words for, for the absolute lack of care and consideration and lack of humanity that she showed him in that moment. And, she, you know, she was a teacher for years. She should know empathy. And she should understand people's emotional needs in that state. And teaching someone to read is one of the most intimate things that you can do. You know, and I've taught children to read. I've taught adults to read. And that is not something you mess around with. And so, like, there was no coming back for her, for me, in this movie. There was no redemption. Oh. She could not arc high enough. Like, she was done. She was dead to me, and there was nothing else she could do. (laughs) Ever. Like, that was it. (laughs) I I did not react quite that viscerally there, because I I see where you're coming from as a teacher. Um, I'm not a teacher, so I don't maybe relate quite to those experiences in the same way. And so my feeling about it was she she helped him in that moment get done what needed to be done. And then later she actually taught him how to read. And one of the things about this movie that really, really bothered me was how they showed passage of time. Yeah. Oh my God. It oh, was bad. horrible. <laughs> it was bad. I could not figure out how much time had passed. And so we went directly from this scene to Christmas time where she hands him a Christmas present that was not a Christmas present and it was right. a composition book, you know, to write in. Mm-hmm. And the first thing he does is he reads the title of it. And so it's like, oh, okay, in the last five seconds, she taught him how to read. <laughs> so yeah. um, off screen, she did take the time to actually teach him how to read and, and he did learn. And so I think my, I didn't respond quite as viscerally as you did to that because the outcome was favorable in the end. Yeah. Well, there are ways to teach people to read and there are ways to teach people to read. And the the care with which you do that matters. And I just, I think that, and and just look at, it would be like the the care that he shows her when she's vulnerable and she needs him. You know, compare that in his moment of vulnerability when he needed her. And she completely, you know, responded in this crass, cruel, cold way. And it just shows the difference of their hearts to me. I wonder, though, if 
this is not just the way that she was with Hoke, if this was really the way that she just was. I mean, oh, yeah. she was, I she think was she was cold a terrible to Bewley, person. And she was cold <laughs> to Idella. It's yeah. just she had learned to live with Idella being in her house. And, mm-hmm. you know, she she was an insecure old woman. Yes. And I she think was. that showed through a lot. And so it's for me, I guess I can forgive a lot because she wasn't doing most of these things to Hoke because of who he was or the color of his skin. She was doing this to Hoke because that's who she was. You know, Hoke okay. could have been anybody else. That's Hoke, fair. Hoke could have been the neighbored girl down the street, and she still would have told him or her to get out of her zinnias, that she didn't want a flower garden, to mm-hmm. stop looking at her pictures because they're her things. You know, I, I feel like she's just a kaji old woman, and she was going to say that to anybody. But That's because fair. this is a movie that's set in the Old South in – Macon, Georgia, in 1948, or at least it starts in 1948. I don't know when it ended, because <laughs> Passage of Time in this movie is, is not it's okay. It's so bad. I know we got to 1967. Um. <laughs> I don't know how far we went after that. I'm pretty sure it ended in the 80s, okay. um, but I'm not positive about that, or at least late went 70s. On. It, on, it went on for a while. <laughs> yeah. But um, so I, I think that's why I forgive her a little bit more than you do, because I, I feel like she's an equal opportunity horrible person I can see equal opportunity horrible person I guess I just feel that the kind of care that she receives from him is a rare gift and she was smart enough to see it for what it was and she didn't appreciate it therefore she doesn't deserve it I think I I think she eventually (laughs) did I think it just took her a really long time and unfortunately we don't get to see it happen we're told yeah. it happens because of the way they do the time jumps, especially at the end. Um, they just tell us how close they were right. and that he still goes to see her. Um, yeah. And we, we don't get to see them actually interact once well, we hit that point. They had this one scene that I felt like they were trying to sell me on her suddenly having love and affection for him. And it actually just made me like her even less. So she had, like, he, he showed up at her house and she was having this cognitive moment of, you know, regression where she was back to being a teacher and she was panicked looking for homework that she had graded. And she was very vulnerable in that moment. And I did feel, you know, sorry for her not being aware of time and reality because that's a terrible kind of vulnerability. And so she was very disoriented and afraid. And, and of course, Hope, you know, took care of her and, and helped her through that. And when she came back to reality, you know, she said, Hoke, you're my best friend. And she, you know, reaches out and takes his hand and the music rises and we're supposed to go all mushy. And I was like, nope, because, (laughs) you know, I have a best friend and you don't reach out only when you are afraid, you know, and and you don't have a best friend and not offer love and support to that person. It's not something that you only take when you're scared. And that was the only direction that we ever saw it flowing from her to him. You know, that's not how love between best friends work. And I thought that her telling him, you're my best friend, when what she really means is, you're my caregiver. Thank you for always being here for me, was just a really cheap interpretation of the word best friend. I, okay, I agree with your last statement, but I don't think I agree with your first uh, conclusion. 
just because looking looking at her life, she has no friends. She right. lives in that big house by herself. Mm-hmm. The only people she interacts with are the people from her temple, the people that she is terrified all the time are going to judge her. These women right. are not her friends. They're just her mahjong partners. That's true. So her only friends in life were mm-hmm. Idella and Hoke. She just didn't know how to be a friend to them because she didn't have that in her life. And so by the time she gets to that point and she realized how vulnerable and scared she was and that he was there for her when nobody else was, Mm -hmm. it made perfect sense for her to react that way. And it did grab me right in the feels, even though (laughs) I do, I do understand why, why it upset you. Um, I just, I just look at it a little bit differently. Well, and I guess I could see her saying, you're my best friend, as in, I love you best, or I realize you're the best to me. It's just, she's never reciprocated that, and she's never treated him back the same way. And it was just such a huge gap in this movie that it really bothers yeah. me. My my assumption is that after that point, she started to reciprocate we just didn't get to see it because it was right after that that we saw the house was for sale and then then she had moved out and then it had been two years and then all of a sudden we see that she's in the home. So there was like several years there that we didn't get to see at all right? where they would have interacted. And I expect that that's the time where she probably did start reciprocating, at least on her good days, since clearly she was having cognitive dis- you know, issues. Well, you have a more generous reading than I do, so we'll go with yours. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think my visceral dislike for this woman is so strong that we'll just have to go with your interpretation. <laughs> well, part of it is I have I have an internal affection for Jessica Tandy. Um, and I'm okay. not even sure why, because I'm not sure what other movies I've seen of hers. I'm thinking it's probably Cocoon, but I'm not positive. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was a good movie. Now, I mean, she was fantastic as an actress <laughs> in this. Like, she sold the role. Yeah. She she did a great job performing this role. Yeah. She was just in a role that I hated with my entire heart, and I felt that she betrayed <laughs> everything that I believe in as a teacher. Yeah. And possibly as a person. But, <laughs> you know. Well, you- <laughs> I am also um, Miss Susie Sunshine sometimes, and I like to be overly optimistic. Hey, that's okay, though. So- but if- <laughs> that's okay. I, need- I, can- I can probably stand to be a little more generous in my reading of this movie. <laughs> now, I can tell you a few of the other things that really ticked me off, if you, okay. you want to hear some of that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, oh, the racist cops. Oh, my God. The Alabama cops? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, It, okay. Yeah. It, authentic, still authentic. Very. Absolutely and utterly rage inducing. Have you ever been pulled over in Alabama? No, I've never driven through Alabama. Well, I have. And that was very authentic. I would say, yes. Rings the bell. Alabama's not a place you want to get pulled over. Yeah. In my experience. I, I believe it. Um. That, uh, yeah, that, I can't even talk. It, it induces so much rage in me. <laughs> it's just how horrible. It's because it was good. It, you ran for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it, it was just, it was bad. Um, and it was just all sorts of 
racist. It was against her. It was against him. It was, you know, you're a black man against a new car, so you must have stolen it. Oh, there's a woman in the backseat. Oh, but she's got a Jewish last name, so she's a terrible person, too. Oh, I just wanted to reach through the TV and just smack them. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Not too long after that, Hoke needed to stop and go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And Daisy tried to prevent him from stopping and going to the bathroom. You know, she she said, no, you need to wait because we're late and I need to get where I'm going. Yeah. And I was screaming at my TV at that moment because mm-hmm. that is heartless and demeaning. And I don't even know what other words I could throw in there. But it was awful. Disconsideration for his humanity. Yes. And his integrity. <laughs> yes. And dignity. Yes. Not not integrity. Dignity. Dignity is the word yes. I'm looking for there. She's, she's, yes. she's trying to take everything away from him and, and treat him as less than human there. And mm-hmm. honestly, I don't think she was trying to do that. But again, I may be giving her too much credit there. I don't honestly think that's what she was trying to do. Because if she was, she would have pushed back whenever he stood up to her. And she didn't. Um, really, as we saw, she was scared. She didn't want to be in the car by herself in the dark. And that's what was driving her negative reaction there. But it just made me so angry because I can't stand to see a human treat another human that way. Yeah. But I really appreciated that Hoke was willing to stand up for himself. Me too. Knowing that he could get in trouble because he was an employee and, you know, it could affect his it really couldn't affect his job because obviously she can't fire him because her son employed him and all that stuff. But it could still have backfired, but it didn't. And I appreciated that. I like that he took the keys. Because yes. he didn't just stand up to her. He also took the keys with him. Yeah. And I was like, high five, Hogue. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's how you do it. <laughs> I was going to say, the, the last thing that really kind of bothered me on this, and it's a silly little thing. Dan Aykroyd's southern accent was really not that great. No. My mother's a little high strung. The fact is, you'd be working for me. She can say anything she likes, but she can't fire you. Oh, it really was. I looked it up to see where he's from, and he's Canadian, and so he was stretching. Oh, that, that would be a big stretch. That and, would be um, a big stretch. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes it was good. Most of the time, it really was not that good. And so that kind of threw me out a little bit. Yeah. Um, It's not the worst one I've heard, but it wasn't fantastic. Yeah. That's funny. Oh, that's funny. No, I think that probably the last thing that bothered me so much, other than just the disregard for Hoke as a person, was how little they actually knew about his life and his family you know to have such a close relationship with him every day and not know about his children and his grandchildren and the realities of his actual life because they just don't care you know it doesn't matter because it's not what's important to them um but the moment in earlier in the movie where she accused him of stealing that was not okay because in that time period in the south if you accused a black person of stealing, not only did you cost them their job, they could go to jail with no proof, with no evidence, with no cause. That was such an abuse of power with, you know, absolutely no reason for it. It was not okay. 
the way that the movie set it up, it was almost supposed to be comical. And things like that are not funny, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I, I never felt that there was a consequence for her behavior right there. Um, it, it was so flippant of her and it was, it just, it crossed a line in her treatment of him and her disregard for him. And again, I just never felt that they, they went back and, and earned that space again between the two of them. I was glad Hoke didn't know. Right. That she accused him of stealing, but I was just never okay with that. Okay. I don't have a lot to say about that. I mean, I, I agree with you. It was awful and could have had very, very serious consequences. But the way it was resolved, I liked because it it kind of put her in her place in front of her son. Mm-hmm. And made her own up to, oh, he didn't actually steal this and she had to walk away because she was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for that reason, it didn't bother me as much. Um, I mean, I did at first, certainly, until we got to that resolution. It did make me laugh when Hope came in and immediately was le- and immediately was like, oh, I meant to tell you I was hungry and the food you left me was too tough so I borrowed a can of salmon and I brought a new one back for you and I thought that that was amazing that he was just open and upfront about it and exactly what had happened and why and he fixed it and she was all blubber and had nothing to say about it and I guess I liked it because it kind of knocked her down a peg or two yeah I'm just still pretty sure he's partly angel Well, I don't disagree with you on that. (laughs) So I think that's a great time to actually start talking about the sections that tickled us pink. Okay. Because, yeah, there was stuff I actually liked now that I'm done, like, cussing her out. (laughs) (laughs) There were good things in this movie. Um, I actually really liked the movie as a whole. And uh, despite how rage-inducing parts of it are. Um, but but let's start with Hoke because Hoke was hands down the best part of this movie. I have oh God, never yes. seen the, a portrayal of a better human being in a movie than Hoke Colburn. Oh, which I found absolutely. out his last name is Colburn. This whole time watching the movie, I thought his name was Hoke Hoburn mm-hmm. because that's what their southern accents made it sound like. But when I looked it up, I Googled Hoke Hoburn, and there were no results. <laughs> and so then I had to Google Driving Miss Daisy to find out what this guy's name was. And his last name is Colburn, not Hoburn. Colburn. It's actually a great name. Oh, he was so wonderful. He was so wonderful. He was. He was just the right amount of love and affection and patience and kindness and sass. Yes. And you don't usually get all of that in one person. Oh, I know. Angel, I'm telling you, not quite human. Yeah, so so basically everything about Poke, his patience with her was mind-boggling. I don't have that much patience with anybody. I don't have, like, a quarter of that patience with anybody. And so to see... Day after day, him coming back, being persistent, and just intentionally trying to cultivate that relationship with her blew my mind. Oh, it was amazing to me. And and not just that with her, but there was such joy in him just as a person. 
you know, you could see it. You could see it on his face. You could see it in his smile. You could hear it in the way he talked. And I'm like, where, where did he tap into that? You know, where does that joy come from in him and how does he keep it? And we didn't get to know a whole lot about his life, but what we, we did get to see, it was not an easy life. Um, and it was just miraculous to me to see that kind of happiness embodied in a person and, and that kind of capacity for love in a person. I just, I thought he was miraculous and wonderful and yeah, he was great. <laughs> he was just great. <laughs> yeah. And when there was a moment when, um, talking about the sass that he had that I did just adore when he uh, renegotiated his salary in there <laughs> that I just thought was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I, that was such a great moment with him and uh, it was just fantastic. But, but my favorite, my favorite Hoke moment was during the ice storm, which, you know, in, in Georgia doesn't happen that much. And when it, when there is an ice storm, it shuts, it shuts the city down. But Hoke knew how to drive in the ice, and he came over early that morning and brought Daisy coffee, and it was such a quiet demonstration of love, and I'm telling you, I would probably marry a man for that alone, you know, and he kept her company and made her a fire, and God, she just did not deserve him, and it was just such this beautiful, (laughs) sweet vignette of him going to that trouble and thinking about her and considering, you know, that, but but to, of all the practical necessities of things that would need to be done that day, to start out so early in the morning just to bring her coffee, I'm telling you, my whole heart went to Hoke. Like, he has it now. It is his forever. I completely <laughs> fell in love with that character. Morgan Freeman was amazing. Oh, absolutely. <sighs> okay, let's stop gushing about Hoke because we could probably do it for another hour. <laughs> Well, what else did you like about this movie? What else tickled you pink? Oh, I love, love, love the main theme for this movie. The song mm-hmm. um, that they keep playing over and over. Uh, so Hans Zimmer did the music for this movie. And the song is called Driving. Yes. And I have heard that before. And I've always really liked it because it's so catchy and upbeat and wonderful. And the first time I heard it was in one of my very favorite movies, which is The Holiday. And I Mm -hmm. had no idea that it came from Driving Miss Daisy. But every time it came on, it just made me smile because it's so happy. Yeah. I loved the music in this movie so much. And I went and downloaded the soundtrack so I could kind of listen to it and remind myself not to only cuss and about everything that I hated in the podcast. That's fair. Um, Because like, honestly, even if all of the character flaws were horrible, the soundtrack and the score that we got out of this movie are worth everything alone because the music is amazing. It's a fantastic soundtrack. I mean, all the way through the, the score is fantastic and all of the songs are great and it's a great mix and, it was so much fun to listen to. So I, I did. I loved the music and I love how it was woven through the entire movie. And I think they did a fantastic job with the musicality of it. Speaking of music, did you catch the joke that they made? So Patti LuPone played Bully's wife mm-hmm. and she's a Broadway star. She's right. a Broadway singer. 
And she didn't sing a single time in this movie. And Daisy made a joke on the way to the Christmas party. Lord, I hope she doesn't sing. Yes. Did you catch that? It just cracked me up. I did. And I was really surprised by how small a part she had in this, too. Um, But I would have loved to have heard her sing in this. And I think that there was probably an opportunity they could have done that, given the number of holiday parties that we right. saw in this but yeah that was pretty funny <laughs> yeah that was pretty it, it made me giggle so mm-hmm. yeah but I think that other than Morgan Freeman the, the music was probably my favorite part of this movie yeah I think I would agree with that um but I I think I liked this movie a little more than you did well it was funny because I can be infuriated by a movie and still like it um okay because it doesn't have to make my heart happy to still appreciate the message. And I think you can watch this movie and see the things that are wrong and still get something out of it. You know, it's it's still an intelligent movie. It still holds up a mirror to what is wrong. Like, just the lack of consideration and love between people when you can live that closely together in that kind of community and not have respect for each other's dignity, not have the kind of relationships that we should all have with each other. This movie does a very good job in a very quiet way of demonstrating those things. And so I still think it's a very smart movie. And I think the acting was very, very good. It just doesn't make my heart light up like I really desperately want to watch this movie but I would teach this movie and I would definitely have students write about this movie yes I can yeah I can see that definitely I will say one thing that surprised me is with all of the southern culture that I've experienced in my life in mainstream media the southern movies the books I don't think I have ever seen another movie that was southern it was about a Jewish family. Me too. And I wrote that down in my notes as well, like kind of in our other thoughts section, because that was unusual. And, and it was a good perspective. Um, and it was a little different than what you would expect. And I was glad that they broke stereotype on that. Yeah. And it was nice to see kind of the intersectionality of, of the two cultures mm-hmm. a little bit, because mm-hmm. we got to see all of the things that, that we expected to see with wealthy white Southern culture in 1948. But we also got to see Daisy being self-conscious about being stereotyped as a Jew. Mm -hmm. She was constantly worried about people thinking she was a rich Jew. And she was constantly worried about how other people were perceiving her. She got mad when Hoke picked her up in the car right in front of the synagogue, even though other women had their drivers picking them up for her, it wasn't okay because she didn't want to be perceived that way because she was afraid of those stereotypes. And I thought that was really interesting. That's not something I've seen before. I thought it was really interesting too. And even though Daisy wasn't able to make connections between some of her own cultural struggles and others, the movie, you know, can help the viewer make those connections because when the mm-hmm. temple was bombed, you know, she, she said, who would do such a thing? And Hoke said, you know, the same as me, Miss Daisy, it's always the same ones, you know, trying to, to let you see that, you know, hatred and bigotry and terrorism and prejudice, like it's always the same people and it's always the same mindset. And even though she couldn't grasp that, mm-hmm. having us see her view, 
you know, coming to that from her perspective as someone who was Jewish in the South, I think was a little more powerful than it might have been if they had gone with like, you know, the first Southern Baptist church. <laughs> right. Like right. That. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was that was unusual for me, too. And, and I, I thought it was a really interesting take for them, kind of a, an interesting perspective to take with the movie. Yeah. So and, and my last kind of note that I took was when they were driving to Mobile, um, Hoke said that it was his first time out of Georgia. And he said, Alabama ain't looking like much so far. And I just laughed because the first time I drove to Alabama was on accident because I was <laughs> <laughs> I was actually heading to Rome, Georgia, and I got lost. And the next thing I saw was this giant sign that said, Welcome to Alabama. And I thought, oh, hell. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> my reaction was very similar to hoax, and it was kind of funny. <laughs> All right. So overall, what do you think of the movie? I really liked it. I think I probably wouldn't seek it out to watch again. Mm-hmm. But if I ever came across it like on TV or somebody else wanted to watch it, I would watch it. Mm-hmm. I will say it did make me cry, and that was unexpected for me. Mm-hmm. And I was already kind of in a weird place when I sat down to watch this movie last night, and I did not want to cry. And then it made me cry, and so it made me a little bit mad that I cried. Oh, <laughs> But that's okay. That's not the movie's fault. Um, I, I'm really glad that neither of them died in the movie. I really yeah. expected the movie to end with one of them dying and the other one having to deal with that. And me too. And I'm glad that didn't happen, that we got to end – on the two of them laughing and smiling and enjoying each other's company, which was the best way this movie could have ended. That's a very good point, and I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know that I would have seen that cynic that I am, so I'm glad that you, <laughs> I'm glad that you pointed that out. And I, and I think that that would have been a cop-out to have ended with a funeral, yeah. and I'm glad that we didn't do that. What I'm about you, start- Annie? Well... I think that I can appreciate it intellectually without it moving me emotionally because all it did was infuriate me past <laughs> the point of being able to speak in complete sentences. But I am starting to worry about the cold nature of my heart compared to yours because we're now oh. two for two <laughs> with a movie no, making no. you cry that just made me mad. <laughs> I I think that means we are the perfect podcasting partners because we balance it out. There you go. You bring my optimism down and I bring your pessimism up and, you know, we meet in (laughs) the middle somewhere. The funny thing is, is I'm actually not a pessimist. Like, (laughs) I'm kind of like a big romantic at heart, but there's something about these movies and I don't know if it's the time period or if it's just the, the low tolerance that I have for representations of love that I don't think work the way they're supposed to but when I see someone mistreat someone on screen like it just does not work for me so I don't know it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that keeps rolling (laughs) well I I think it might be slightly exacerbated just because we are taking a close mirror to small representations of ourselves yeah, that's true, too. I mean, that that's the point of, of the show. And so when we see things in these movies that we don't like or that are reprehensible, I think the instinct is to have that knee-jerk reaction of, no, I'm not like that. That's a bad thing. And, you know, I think that's fair. And I, I think that's human nature. And 
I think that's what makes this a difficult project to, you know, take on. But that's I'm true. really glad we're doing it. I am too. And I, and I do. And it's funny because, you know, I was a little intimidated to do this with you. And I think if we were just talking about movies, it would be easy. But but yeah. we have this like this is this is a real thing with this connection to home and this lens and, and kind of this experience, because I can't just passively watch this movie and talk about my favorite part, you know, and, and it does add a level of depth to that. Um, but it, it's been really fascinating and I'm glad we're doing it. I think it'll be a little bit easier next week. Yes. So what are we watching next week, Mandy? Next week, we are doing My Cousin Vinny. Woo-hoo! Okay. Because <laughs> there's nothing but love, and there's nothing but love, and there's nothing but love. Because I love this movie. It's ridiculous how much I love this movie. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> it is going to be fun. It's been a really long time since I've seen this movie, too. There are a few points that stand out to me, and I'm really looking forward to watching it again as an adult. And yeah. kind of putting this Southern culture experience lens on it, um, especially since the movie is kind of told from the perspective of an outsider, since yeah. obviously Vinny is not Southern, and it's largely him who we're seeing the story from. So I'm really excited. And it will really be a challenge for me because I watch this movie constantly. I think I can okay. probably recite the entire thing without putting it in the DVD player, but now I'm going to have to watch it critically and I'm going to have to do it through this lens. So that's going to be a challenge for me. So it, that I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I think you're up to the challenge. I think it'll be fun, but I really do. I mean, this is one of my top five, all, you know, <laughs> lifetime favorite movies. So I cannot yeah. wait to watch it again. <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, we want to hear from you. If you want to join the conversation on Twitter, use the hashtag SFPOP. Tell us about your experiences growing up in the South or how you felt watching Driving Miss Daisy. You can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay, or you can email us at podcast at eloquentgushing.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Kelly Jones at southernfriedscholar.com on the Southern Fried Scholar podcast or on the Big Strong Yes podcast with Lonnie Diane Rich. And Southern Fried Pop Culture is funded by supporters like you through our Patreon page. So for exclusive content and more, please visit us at patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And thanks to Jazzy Bentley for our amazing show music. Thanks, y'all. You want to hear just what I think, but I don't walk around to Culture is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com or visit us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.